And as you're seated and placing your fellowship conversations on hold for now, please open to Genesis chapter 31. 31. We're on chapter 31 of Genesis. And in some ways, I feel like we've just flown through it. And some of you are saying, when are we going to go on to something else? I have no fear uh, the Christmas season is coming. And so... Genesis 31, beginning in verse 1, we'll read the chapter together. Again, not a short chapter, but so full and so beneficial to us. Beginning in verse 1, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and for what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats were mated with the flock, that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons on his wife and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paran Aram to go to the land of Canaan, to his father, Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled... He took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And and Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and the Deliah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. 
Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Well, then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Yagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he called it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Father, thank you for your word. God, your precious word, Lord, we, we love what you have said to us. Lord, help us to understand what you have said to us so that we can love more. And Lord, so that we can apply to our lives what you have said. We thank you for the living word, our Savior, our Lord Jesus, in his name, amen. Well, I hope that you're learning a lot about God in this study in, in Genesis. I, I'm learning so much about this God. There's so much more here in Genesis than, than many expected. I mean, there's more for us. Do you realize that these things that happen, that we're reading about right now, happened 4,000 years ago? I mean, literally 4,000 years ago, Jacob was born in about 2000 B.C., and these events that, that happened really happened this way, but, but they're so much more relevant to life than people expect because there are some questions about human existence that are universal, that transcend time, uh, that are constant for all of human beings, the, the parts that are crucial for our existence. Who are we? Where did we come from? Why are we here? Who's God? They're, they're universal, common questions, and God teaches us. He leads us through the truth in his word, through all of the stories that we're lead, uh, reading and learning about in Genesis. So here's another part of Jacob's life, that, and it teaches us all about how God has called us out from the world, and sometimes even called out by the world, where Christians can be called out by the world, but God calls us out from the world to the word, to his word. So believers in God through Jesus Christ have a different directive, a different objective for their life, different set of instructions, a whole new reason for living and a different way of living because we have not yet been called out of the world. We've been called out from it by God to be here still. So God has things for us to do. 
and, and he does not only has thing, have things for us to do for him while we're here, but you know, loving him, worshiping him, getting together to worship him corporately like we're doing this morning. Not only those things, but God brings us people outside of our brothers and sisters here to live nearby, to work alongside, to deal with day after day, them dealing with us and us dealing with them. And we desire to make disciples of them because they don't know Jesus. They don't know the Lord. But often that doesn't happen. Often what ends up happening is a relationship with unsafe people that look a little bit more like Jacob and Laban <laughs> with, some, with some disagreements, some conflict. And so we're learning what this can look like. What some things that are some good things for us to remember, some good things for us to, to keep in mind, and some things that we should avoid. We're studying these two, this chapter in two sections together to learn about believers interacting with the world, being called out from the world, but still here, not called out of it. And so this first section in verses 1 to 21 is going to be, we're, we're going to see that Jacob leaves at God's direction. This first part of the chapter is, is all about Jacob getting ready to leave and then leaving at God's direction. And there are three parts to it. The first part in verses 1 through 3, A in your notes, Jacob listens to God. Jacob listens to God. Now, in verses 1 and 2, Jacob hears and he sees. He hears what Laban's sons are saying. He sees Laban. And so uh, the sons are accusing him of taking everything that was their father's that would have gone to them. He sees Laban uh, not being favorable to him anymore. They're, they're not really that friends anymore, that good of friends if they were ever friends to begin with. Um, but this is, this is becoming increasingly obvious to Jacob. He's, he's hearing this. He's seeing this. He's not oblivious to the circumstances. Um, they're saying that everything that's happened over the last 20 years has been all for Jacob's benefit and at our expense and our father's expense. And Laban doesn't like this. But remember that Jacob had only, he, he had been serving for 20 years, but the first 14 of it, what he got out of it was his two wives. And he didn't want two wives to begin with. We remember that. But, but that's what he ended up with for the first 14 years. The last six years have been for just the unwanted scraps from the flock. That, that's what he and Laban had agreed to. Jacob said he'd take the worst, but God was blessing him. So Jacob's not oblivious to his circumstances, but the decision to leave wasn't his. Did you notice that in, in verses 1 through 3? We're not told how long this was going on, but he noticed this was happening. The sons are saying these things. Laban's acting this way. Everything's changing around him. But God hadn't told him to leave yet. He didn't tell him it was time to leave to go back to the promised land until verse 3. And he obeys God. Because God told him to come to this place, but he wasn't ready to leave until God told him to leave this place and head back home. So he doesn't depend on his own wisdom, his own understanding. He waits for God to direct him. And this is really important for us to understand and to, to recognize because so often people tell you, look, things are getting really difficult there. Maybe God's trying to tell you to give up, <laughs> just to quit, just to move on, do something else. And so often this becomes part of the reason for us making sinful decisions, wrong choices that leads to sin or that are sinful in and of themselves. Like this, well, God told me it was okay to get a divorce because the marriage was just getting hard, right? That was God speaking to me through the circumstances of difficulty. So, so he told me just to get a divorce. It was okay. Um, or, you know, God, God's showing me how difficult it is to be alone financially and emotionally. So it's okay for boyfriend and girlfriend to move in together, um, because that's what God's telling us through difficulties. See, see, when we're reading circumstances that are hard and we're trying to figure out what's God telling me through these hard situations, these hard circumstances, what we end up doing is reading the circumstances instead of reading his word and what he's told us to do, what he wants from us in life. Because God's never going to tell us something that contradicts his word. He's not going to speak to us through, through events and circumstances to say something that he hasn't said or that he would say no to. God told Jacob to be there till it was time to go back. So he was going to be there, even if it got hard, until God said, leave the security, the familiarity that you've had for the last 20 years. Leave all that behind. Now it's time to go. 
And the only hope that you have of this being a success for you to get out of there and start your life in the promised land, like I've said, is the four, the five words from God, I will be with you. It's the only hope he has. So what does all this mean? Well, it means circumstances change, people change, we change, but God never changes. His word never changes. He never changes. And this is comfort and hope. Because what God has really done is he's brought a change in circumstances to help motivate Jacob to get ready to go. But Jacob wasn't depending on his, his interpretation of those circumstances to leave until God said, now it's time to go. And God's going to do that later on with his people, Israel, while they're in Egypt. He's going to get them motivated to go. And then he's going to say, now it's time to leave. So this is, this is a, a big deal for us. I mean, we've only gone three verses into this 55-verse chapter, but we're seeing already a lesson that, that's important to us to listen to what God has to say uh, and not let the world become attractive to us. Not let this world become so appealing to us that, that we say, well, I think I'm going to listen to what this world has to say before I listen to what God has to say. Jacob listens to God. Verses 4 to 16b in our notes. We'll move on that, and we'll see that Jacob leads his family. He leads his family. Verse 4, Jacob says, time for a family meeting, right? Let's all gather in the field. That's where Laban isn't. That's where hearing ears aren't. It's only sheep and goats out here. And how does he start? He starts with the reality of the situation. Laban isn't friendly like he was before. The bigger and truer, truer reality, though, that he communicates to his family is, the God of my father has been with me. These last 20 years, he said, I can't explain how this has gone the way it has other than the fact that God has been with me. Where's the proof of that? He gives them two exhibits. Exhibit A, look at our flocks. I've served him with all my strength, and he's continually cheated me. He's changed my wages 10 times. Now, that may be an exaggeration. It may be like us saying, like, he's changed it a dozen times. Or it could be literal. It could be actual. He's changed them ten times. You know, when they originally decided to, to, to make this arrangement, Laban said, okay, anything that's not solid white or solid black can be yours. I don't want that. Well, then he starts to change. He says, well, no, those only the ones that are striped. And then God brought forth striped. Well, you're getting too many animals. Only the ones that are spotted. And God brought forth all the spotted animals. And then Laban said, no, those aren't spots. Those are dots. <laughs> They're still mine. I mean, he, he's doing everything he can 10 times over and over again. But Jacob says here, God did not permit him to harm me. God took away his livestock, gave it to me. The, the whole conversation that Jacob has with his family points to what God's been doing, points to who God is. That's exhibit A. Exhibit B, God came to me in a dream as the angel of God. And he said to me, I'm the same God who appeared to you at Bethel. Same God. And he told me that he has seen everything Laban has been doing to me. Why? Because he's the God who sees. He's the God who knows. He's the eternal God. He's everywhere. And he sees and he knows everything. This God is sovereign. He's powerful. He's eternal. He's everywhere. He's been with me the whole time. God has been with me. Those are my two proofs. Look at our flocks. Look at this dream. This is the almighty God. He says it's time to leave. It's time to go. Right? It's a great move to communicate with his family. And notice how big of a change this is for Jacob. You know, before he probably would have just would have picked everything up and just walked off. You know, it's, it's time to go. But he, he gets his family together. He says, let's, let's talk about this. He explains what's going on, teaches his family about who God is. And he says, this is why, as Pastor Tom likes to say, he was showing his work. He says, look, it's time to go. Its decision is, is made. Let's talk about it. Here's why. Now, our application from that, you know, the, the lesson that we're going to learn is not obviously going to be one for one because we need to gather our wives together to have family meetings, right? That, that's, not going to, that's not going to work out. Lord willing, there's one and one, but the principle is helpful in caring for, leading his family. But what's even more surprising is how ready they are to go. Such a sad response from his wives, isn't it? You know, he's treated us like dirt, foreigners. He sold us like slaves to you. He's wasted all the money, all the money that he's made off of you for selling us to you and all the work that you've done. He's wasted it all. He's squandered it all away. There's nothing here for us. But notice that note of, that motivation for them. You know, for Jacob, it's time to go because God says so. God's been with me and he says it's time to go. For, for Leah and Rachel, it's time to go because there's no money left. But at least they do tell him, look, if God says to you it's time to go, then you better do it. So at least there's that. But Jacob listens to God. He leads his family. 
In the third part of this first section, Jacob leaves at the right time. Jacob leaves. See in her notes. He leaves at just the right time. He gathers everything that was his, and only what's his, that's what he gathers. He doesn't gather anything that's Laban's, and as far as he knows, that's what the rest of the family did. And they leave to head back to Canaan, where his father Isaac is. Now, Laban wasn't home when Laban did all this. He, he, Laban was out shearing his sheep. And, and we think, okay, well, I don't even know what that means. I'm just going to pass on through that. But that's really important information. Uh, this isn't a, because we're not alive 4,000 years ago, it doesn't make as much sense to us. As much sense to us. He, Laban didn't run down to Maverick to pick up a chicken sandwich and then come back. He'll be back in a few minutes, right? He went out to the field, and ancient texts tell us that for a large flock, if you have 150 men helping you shear the sheep, that's not enough. You really, ideally, you need 300 to 400 men to help you shear the sheep for at least three days. This is a huge undertaking. And if you don't have the ideal number, 300 to 400, which it'd be hard to think that Laban could gather that many people. But if you don't have the ideal number or the weather doesn't cooperate, you're talking an operation that could take 10 to 12 days. So Laban's out, and he's going to be gone for quite a while. Jacob says, I can't wait around the whole time. God says it's time to go. I'm going. But verse 19, of course, shows the tragedy of Rachel's heart. She stole the, the gods, the household gods. Something made her think that was a good idea. What was it? Well, there's a lot of speculation because we're not told what she was thinking. It may be because the gods were made out of gold or silver, so they'd be worth something. Uh, maybe it was just to spite her father. You know, he thought, well, these bring me good luck. So she thought, well, I'll just take them away from him. <laughs> no more luck for him. Maybe she thought they brought good luck. So she stole them to take them with her on the journey. Some people think that it was, it was a formal transformation of headship from Laban, her father, to Jacob, her husband. And that's why she took them. But really, as we step back and evaluate these, there's really no good reason for her to have taken those gods, is there? There's no reason that would be good. But what this actually leads to is something that's supposed to be meant to be hilarious for us in this text. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be funny. I mean, what kind of gods can be kidnapped? Right? Or, or godnapped? I mean, what kind of gods can be take, picked up by a human being who's less than God, right? That's the idea. I'm worshiping this God. I'm less than this God. Picked up by a human being and taken where they don't want to go. They can be stolen. They can be hidden. They can't do anything about it. And they can't say, they don't even have the ability to say anything. Like, no, don't take us there. I mean, this is, what terrible gods. And it's, it's supposed to be funny, but it's only going to get funnier as we proceed through the passage. But you see also right after that, that in verse 20, Jacob tricked Laban by not telling him he was leaving. Now, the word tricked is actually the same word as what Rachel did. Rachel stole the gods. Jacob stole the heart of Laban. That's, that's the idea from, from the original. It's not so much that he tricked him. It's that he, he left without telling him he was stealing his heart. It's a word play in the original. It doesn't come through very well in the English. But he hasn't tricked anybody. The fact is, he had already talked to Laban about this. He already told him in the last chapter, I want to go home. And I want to take my family with me, but we don't have anything. So I'm going to serve you for a time for some, for some flock, for some animals. And then we're leaving. So they had already talked about it, and then we're going to find out in verse 31 also that, look, I, you were going to take them all uh, by force anyway. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to be able to leave with anything if I waited till you were here. So it was the right time for Jacob to leave. It was really, really helpful in avoiding a terrible conflict that would have come. And so we have the statement there after the, the third part of this first section. We have the word always, and this this lesson here, this object lesson that we're hearing and learning again is that we always listen to God's word and act on what he says. Listen to his word and act on what he says. You say, come on, you've already said that so many times, so many weeks over the, so many times over the last several weeks we've had this. Um, But this is yet another angle on the same lesson that we struggle with so often. Don't substitute anything for what God says. Don't try to read circumstances and feelings to figure out, is God trying to speak to me? And, and, and you know, what God said has already said and says to us now is, is the rule. This is what's important for us. Should I move? Should I take a new job? Should I, you know, what, what direction should I take in life? 
We can't demand that God come speak to us like he does here with Jacob. You know, we, we can't be waiting around for God to come and, and verbally speak to us or, or appear to us. You say, well, how come Jacob got to do that? Well, Jacob was being used specifically to bring about God's people, Israel, to bring them out. And then that Messiah would come through him. So, so that was some important work that God had that he was directly intervening in, in Jacob's life. But what I want to encourage you in is that I don't want you to be intimidated by people who tell you, well, God hasn't spoken to you. God hasn't uh, uh, revealed himself to you in a dream or a vision or, or spoken to you audibly because you're just not mature enough. That's not a message that we see in the scriptures. Well, you've not heard from God because you're just not mature enough. You've got to grow up in your faith. That's not what we read in the scriptures. In fact, we look at the false prophet Balaam and how God appeared to him and spoke directly to him. Balaam even talked for God to, to people, and he was never even a believer. Now you think about Nebuchadnezzar and how God came and spoke to him. You look at Laban here. God's going to come to Laban in a dream. He's not a believer at all. So don't be intimidated. Don't think, well, you know, I've, I've got to, for God to speak to me and to tell me what he wants and to come to me in a vision or a dream, I've got to grow. I've got to have more faith. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. <laughs> don't, don't be discouraged by that. Don't listen to that. For, for direction in our life, see the godly choices uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago, right? God, give me wisdom. God, God, show me what you would have for me to do by changing what I want to align with what you want. Now, there are some things we don't even have to be wondering about. Some things we don't even have to pray about. You say, wait a minute, we're supposed to be praying about everything. Yes, we should be praying about everything, but not whether we should do things. When God's already told us in his word, you know, God, I'm, I'm here and there's a person there. I don't know that they know Jesus. Should I share with Jesus? Yes, yes, you should share with Jesus. Uh, you should share that person <laughs> with that person, Jesus Christ, yes. Well, I don't have to pray and find out if God wants me to. No, he's already said he wants us to. <laughs> he wants us to share Jesus with everybody around us. But it, it, maybe it's not the right time. Well, we can pray about timing. We can pray about whatever. And, and you may only get Jesus loves you. <laughs> and then they walk away. But that part is up to God. We don't have to wonder about whether we should make disciples. We don't have to wonder, should I stay married to the person I'm married to? You know, I don't have to pray about that. Well, well, he's not always nice to me. Okay, <laughs> I understand. Let's talk about that. Let's work through that. Um, usually my attitude needs to change before my spouse needs to change, right? <laughs> I knew that would get you, Ed. <laughs> what if he's abusive to me? That's a different story. Let's talk about that. Let, let's talk about those kinds of, you know, what ifs and, and what abouts. You know, let, let's talk through that. But what God says in his word is our rule for life. So we don't have to question or wonder or pray about, you know, God, will you show me if this is what you want me to do? Because he's already told us so much of what he wants us to do. And the things that are up to us, the things that are optional, he gives wisdom when we ask. And he, he helps us with people who direct us. Don't listen to what any person tells you that's in contradiction to what God has said. Any buddy on TV or radio or anybody that stands behind this pulpit on this platform. If it doesn't come from the word of God, I'm going to listen to what God says over what you just said. But the more you look into God's word, the less satisfying this world will be. The less satisfying the answers will be, the less, the less satisfaction you'll have and you'll get, the less contentment will be here. And you'll, you'll say, God, I'm longing for home. <laughs> where you are. And that's a good thing because he's preparing for us to be called out of the world <laughs> to come where he is. Now we could add some more lessons here. I mean, there are some, some other lessons. Always serve your family. Communication is key. And those are important parts. Those are good examples. But the main idea here is listen to what God has said and do it. Because he works in us to allow us and to work out that obedience and that desire. Well, that's the first section. The second section, verses 22 to 55, number two here, Jacob deals with Laban for the last time. He's going to deal with him for the last time. God said, it's time to leave. Jacob obeys. Laban says, I don't like this idea. What we see is a person with faith who's ready to obey God over and against a person with no faith in God who's not ready to obey. And there are five parts to this. A, verses 22 to 24, Laban pursues Jacob. Laban pursues Jacob. It took three days for Laban to find out. 
Jacob and the whole family and everything they have are gone. So in the middle of that sheep shearing operation, he drops everything. He says, you guys come with me. We're going to go get them. It takes seven additional days to catch up to them. And we read, God says in a dream, don't say anything good or bad to Jacob. What does that mean? Jacob, uh, God was coming to Laban and he was saying, be careful. Watch yourself. That you don't do anything to Jacob. Don't, Don't even say anything good or bad. Don't make any promises or threats. Your influence as a presence in Jacob's life is over. It's done. He's not going to owe you anything, either in a debt of payment due, like if you, if you make a promise, and, and so now he, he owes you, he needs to pay you back for something. Don't make a threat where he would owe you some kind of revenge or, you know, I've got to get back at you. Don't do anything good or bad. You can go meet him, you can go talk to him, but don't do or even say anything good or bad. Because God is protecting his person, his man, his Jacob. God's protecting him. So even after abandoning all the shearing of the sheep and going all this way, he's prohibited by God to say anything or do anything, and he still goes on to meet Jacob. (laughs) Why? Well, because B, verses 25 to 32, we're going to listen to his words, and and we're going to see that Laban promotes himself. It's time to promote myself, and it's really at the expense of Jacob. After seven days of chasing them, what comes out of Laban's mouth? But self-promotion at Jacob's expense. And there are really four accusations here in the form of questions. First one is, why have you tricked me? Again, that's that word stolen. And you've driven away my daughters like captives. My daughters. They're not your wives, Jacob. They're my daughters. And you took, he pretends that they wouldn't have wanted to go with him. You know, you've driven them away like they're captives. Second question, why did you flee secretly when I would have, I would have thrown a party for you guys <laughs> as you were leaving? Now, everybody around, Laban's servants, Jacob's servants, everybody that's standing there watching this knows that that is patently false, right? There, for one thing, nobody did that in the culture. Nobody would throw a giant party when, when people are leaving, like what Laban's talking about here. But they certainly know that Jacob wouldn't have done that. I mean, that Laban wouldn't have done that. Number three, why didn't you let me kiss my sons and daughters? Again, they're not your sons and daughters, they're mine. I'm, I'm in the right. I'm the good guy here. I only wanted what's best. I only want to do what's best for everybody, right? I mean, he, he's making himself out to be the, the good guy. And his, his little speech here ends with an empty threat. I could do a lot of harm to you right now if I wanted to, but God told me not to. <laughs> his most important question comes last. Number four, why did you steal my gods? I mean, of all the terrible things you could have done, you took my gods. So Jacob answers the first three with one answer. I drove away the family. I fled secretly. I didn't let you even kiss them goodbye because I was afraid, intimidated by you. I figured you'd find a way to take them by force. It's because I know who you are. That's why I left like this. But the answer to the fourth question is, not only did I not, I'm so sure that none of us did, that whoever you find, whoever you find your gods with will die. Just dispense the highest form of punishment available because that was, that's something I never would have done, Jacob says to Laban. He really had no idea Rachel had taken them. Now, the ironic thing here is that the true God has spoken to Laban. And he told him to be careful in this interaction with Jacob. And, and Laban's obeying that. He's following through with what God said to him because he's fearful enough of God to obey in this instance. But his own gods are being hidden away unable to move, unable to say anything, why doesn't he just forget those gods and continue on with the, the, the believing and the trusting and the fearing of the true God? It, it's, it's so ironic that he just, he continues with this. But he accuses Jacob of fraud, a breach of trust, kidnapping, godnapping, and he, and he finishes speaking, and, and at the end, he seems to be the one in the right. He's like, look, here's my case. You've done all these things bad against me. But now it's time for the proof. So see, the next part that happens here is that Laban probes for his gods. He starts probing everywhere, verses 33 to 35. And he starts with, do you notice where he starts? Either the one he thinks is most likely to have stolen his gods or because Jacob said, whoever you find him with will die, maybe the one he wants to be dead first (laughs) and most of all. He starts with Jacob. He goes into Jacob's tent. And then he goes into Bilhah and Zilpah's tent. And then he goes into Leah. And after leaving Leah's tent, last is Rachel's tent. Again, the one you find him with will die. He's probably got an order and a reason for why he's searching this way. This word for search is intensive. 
He's going through, and, and what you, the picture you can get is their tents are here, and Laban goes through and just takes everything and just throws all of their possessions all over the wilderness, all over the desert out there, just ransacking their tents, strewing their stuff all over the desert. But in Rachel's tent, she puts the gods in a saddlebag for a camel and sits on it. She says, I'm, I'm too weak, I'm too tired, I can't stand up, please, you know, forgive me. And maybe it was... Uh, the time for her cycle. Maybe it wasn't, but she convinces him and he doesn't find the gods anywhere in the tent. And this is the height of ridiculousness for these gods. That they're so weak, they're so small, they're so pathetic, these gods are, that they're hiding in a camel saddlebag with a woman sitting on top of it who, who may be menstruating. And in the culture, this message is clear. What kind of ridiculousness do you have here? These gods are, are crazy, weak, and, and they're just dumb. The whole idea is dumb. Okay? Some gods. But what was impressive to me in this account was not the ridiculousness of the idols, necessarily, the, the, the false gods here. What's impressive is how committed Laban is to them and how committed Rachel is to them. I mean, doing everything they can to hide them, to cover them up, to get them, to find them. I mean, the, the dedication here... Sometimes I find my dedication to God put to shame by the dedication that people have for their idols. The, way that, the ways that they serve their idols, the things that they do and how they give to, to worship those, those idols in their hearts and, and the idols that I find in my own heart. The dedication I see to worshiping the false gods and the, the things that I want instead of God and what he wants. We, we deny them. We, we lie. We cover them up. We try to protect them. And for what? They can't do anything good. I can't do anything for us, but drag us into more and more idolatry. That's what's, that's what's impressive, not in a good way, about this account with Rachel and the gods and Laban searching for them. But we move on to verses 36 to 42, and we see D, that Jacob presents his argument. Laban's been here. He, he's promoted himself. He's, he's uh, probed all over for his gods. He's doing everything he can uh, to state his case, he's, he's been able to prove nothing. He can't find anything. So now it's Jacob's turn. There's no proof. Jacob turns here and he begins to berate the ESV says. I prefer the New King James rebuked or the New, New American Standard argued over berating because sometimes we get the idea of berating as like he's putting him down. We don't see him putting him down. He's laying out a case here. Even though it's difficult to hear, he has a very good case. You, you came after me like I'm Ram's most wanted fugitive. Right? He's, you've hotly pursued me, and you've started with your most important issue. Starting with that, the, the gods, where, is, where are they? Bring them out here. Did you find them? Lay them out here. You can't, because I worked for you for 20 years, and I did my duty as a shepherd. And you, you can read these words. I mean, all of the things that, that Laban did uh, to Jacob, and Jacob was doing for Laban, and his, the extremes, and all of the sacrifices he made for the last 14, or for 14 years I worked, and I only got Rachel and Leah for the last six. I've worked, and you've changed my wages those 10 times. Here's the main point that Jacob gives to Laban. If God hadn't been looking out for me, I'd be leaving penniless, homeless, childless, wifeless. I'd be leaving empty-handed, but God is taking care of me. So again, when Laban spoke, he seemed to be the one in the right. There's no proof. And then when Jacob states his case, this sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? The first one comes along and says his case. He seems to be in the right till the second one does. Nope, actually, Jacob was the one who was in the right. Laban was doing the wrong. But notice how Jacob describes God in these verses. He's the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac. Now, God of Abraham, we understand. What does he mean by the fear of Isaac? You remember when we looked at Isaac and how he had conspired with Esau to try to take the, the blessing and give it to Esau instead of Jacob? And when, when he tried to supplant the supplanter, what happened when, when he was confronted by God's plan that was always going to happen? Do you remember the words in chapter 27, verse 33? He trembled very violently. He, he, he came, he almost rattled himself off of the bed. He was just trembling like, oh my goodness, I have just crossed God. <laughs> I've tried to, to, to fight against God. He remembered who God was and he was really afraid of this God. And we can fall into a similar trap of not fearing God. 
trying to get our way, trying to do what we want to do. And we forget to fear God. We even teach one another, hey, don't, don't fear God. Don't, don't be afraid of God. We hear a lot of times, you know, fear of God, that just means respect. Just respect him. That's all it means. But contrary to what we've been told, a fear of God is, is, is more than a respect. A healthy, true fear of God is because of the truth of his awesome power, wisdom, sovereignty, and holiness that we can't even grasp. 1 John 4 says, perfect love casts out fear. God is perfect love, and his perfect love casts out fear. But the context of that verse is the, is the, the fear of judgment. We sang it this morning. We don't have any more fear of judgment now in Jesus. But there is still a fear of the awesome power and wisdom and sovereignty and holiness of who this God is. That's a healthy kind of fear. In fact, in Isaiah 8, Isaiah was prophesying in the middle of, of Israel and, and some really terrible events were coming and they were, they were going to happen. And, and the people are saying our nation is going to fall. Everything's a mess. There are conspiracies everywhere. And they were afraid of all that stuff that was going to happen. But God says to Isaiah in verse 13 of Isaiah 8, But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Don't be, a, don't be scared of all the very real and terrible events that are going to happen to Israel when God's judgment comes. Don't be afraid of his judgment, Isaiah, but still fear this God, this holy God. And that's not just Old Testament. Jesus was talking to his disciples in Luke, and he's warning about persecution and dangers that are going to come for those of us who follow him in this world. And, and at this point in Jesus' ministry, so many people are trying to get to him, they're trampling over other people. Literally, people are being trampled by others who are trying to get to Jesus. He says, that's not always going to look like that. Who's going to be trampled is you who believe in me. You're going to be persecuted. So he says in Luke twelve five, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. This is Jesus talking to his friends. I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear his judgment if you're not in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you have a judgment of God to fear. But when you are in Christ, your fear of judgment is gone, but your fear doesn't just go away. God is awesome in his power and his authority in who he is and what he can do and what he will do. And it's such an important study, but Lord willing, we'll do it one day. We'll, we'll go through together the scriptures and talk about the importance of uh, and the necessity of fearing God in a healthy way, not in a way that we're cowering and that we, we never do anything because we're afraid of this God. But when we rightly understand, it brings a healthy fear for this God. Jacob learned through his father's example to fear God. That's why he's called the fear of Isaac. That's who this God is. Our fear of God, as we've just learned, is to be bigger than our fear of being killed. Our fear of God is to be bigger than our fear of conspiracy theories or real events, terrible things that might happen. We fear God above all of those other things, and we trust him. So Laban came. He tried to promote himself as in the right against the trickery of Jacob. And no proof is found at all. So Jacob says, nope, all you've ever done is wrong me. I've never wronged you in the time that we've been together. Jacob is saying, look, here's the case. And, and none of this can be proven wrong. It's all proven correct. So Jacob stands, but he stands only because the God of his father, the God Almighty, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac has been with him. Well, finally... E, the last part of this section, verses 43 to 55, Laban and Jacob part ways. This is where they're done for good. We never see them together again. They part ways. And have you ever, have you ever dealt with somebody like this? Here's all of the wrong that's happened that you've done to me and all the wrong and all the wrong. And he says, okay, let's just call it even. <laughs> We've both wronged each other. Let's just call it even. There's no even here, but that's what Laban tries to do. He says, okay, let's, let's just change the subject. Let's make a covenant. Let's just call it quits. Let's be done here. <laughs> Let's move on. Jacob could say, no, you owe this and this. But he says, no, look, I'm just going to be content with what God's given me. He says, all right, let's part. So they make a covenant. It preserves these terms in writing. They set up a witness of a stone and a heap that shows the indestructible nature of this covenant. Here's the line. Don't cross the line. Laban thinks Jacob may hold a grudge for how he's treated him. So he says, Here's the line. 
don't ever come back. Don't ever come back, Jacob. This relationship that, that we talked about before, God was telling him, your, your relationship is done. Laban's actually saying the same thing. We're, this is a line that nobody is ever going to cross. Up to this point, Abram's, uh, Abraham's wife came from this part of the family. Isaac's wife came from this part of the family. Jacob's just gotten two wives from this part of the family. But now nobody else will come back here. The relationship is over, but Laban's not happy just with that part. He's got to come out on top somehow. So even in the settling of this dispute, making this covenant, Laban gets some jabs in there on Jacob. He says in here, all, all your daughters are my daughters. The kids are my kids. The flocks are mine. Everything's mine. But what can I do about it now? I'll just let myself be taken advantage of. <laughs> Laban says. Verse 45, we saw that Jacob set up the stone and his guys did the heap. Verse 51 says, see this stone that I set up and this heap that I did? <laughs> My goodness, Laban. Yeah, I mean, just patently, obviously false. It goes on in verse 49, Laban appeals to Jacob's God, Yahweh, the Lord, the all capital letters there. He, he's got to watch between you and me. You know, I'll never know what, what you're ever going to do, Jacob. I can't trust you at all, so God's going to have to watch over you. And he gives a threat, but if you ever hurt my daughters, or if you ever take another wife in addition to my uh, my daughters, God's going to get you. He, he's just piling on the insults here. Th- this passive aggressive, just kind of attacking Jacob. He says, this is going to be a witness in verse 52 that, that I won't pass over to you and you can't come to me to harm me. He's playing it all up. You know, I've got to protect myself from you. And even though he's referred to Jacob's God, Yahweh, in these little covenant terms, he also includes the God of Nahor. The God of Nahor was, uh, was their father's God, Abraham's father's God, his brother's God. Mixes them up, mingles them together. Jacob doesn't want any confusion, though. So he says, I swear by the fear of Isaac, the fear of my father. But you can see all these swipes that Laban takes to Jacob. And Jacob never strikes back. Jacob doesn't just get back at him. He doesn't, he doesn't trade barbs here back and forth. He doesn't say a word. One commentator said Jacob gave Laban the silent treatment. <laughs> He's just doing what he needs to do. Getting the covenant set up. Eating the meal that seals it. Jacob's actions spoke for him. He didn't have to say a thing. Do you remember that lesson that we learned in 1 Peter 2? That we're to, we're to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, then you can really argue with them all day long. No, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Jacob's living that out for us here. All of these swipes that Laban's taken, all the mean things, the passive-aggressive swipes he's taken, Jacob doesn't have to say a thing. His good deeds are arguing for him. They're, they're glorifying God when this is happening. Verse 15 of 1 Peter 2 says, This is the will of God, that by doing good, we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Not because we're out there arguing and squabbling all the time with people, and I'm going to prove you wrong, and I'm going to prove I'm right, and I, I'm going to, you know. No, a life that's above reproach. It speaks louder than any kind of words we could have. So we don't need to engage in arguing and debating, tit for tats, fight to stick up for ourselves, defend your honor. We can speak the truth like Jacob did. We, we can show evidence. But verbal spatting and arguing to defend ourselves, we don't need to do any of that. God is with us. And if we're living as he's teaching us and, and enabling us and empowering us to live, we don't even need to say a thing. Even when people are putting us down, you know, people are calling people in the church. They're calling you and me here in the church. They're calling us some, some really bad names. Uh, racist, misogynist, oppressive, closed-minded, patriarchal. You know, all of the words and the names and the labels that they're hurling at people who are in the church who believe that Jesus is the only way. We don't have to argue. We don't have to throw insults back and, uh, you know, well, I'm going to prove you wrong and... Jesus says, you live the life that I've called you to live. And yes, we give them the truth. Yes, we, we show them and, and we speak the truth, but we don't argue back and forth. We don't have to say anything. Everybody will know that it's patently false. And so we reflect on this in this lesson here. It is you, you believer, this statement at the bottom of your notes here, you as a believer cannot truly be friends with the world. We can't truly be friends with the world. God says, come out and be separate. Again, he's called us out from the world to be separate in the world. 
The world has different goals and priorities than you do and than I do. Oh, you've got some verses in your notes and I encourage you to read these verses and, and, and learn about how God has called us out. Uh, James 4, 4, friends with the world. If you're friends with the world, that's enmity with God. We can't be okay with the world and be okay with God at the same time. What's in the world is the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all against what God is for. But we still have to have unbelieving friends. I mean, you know, how, how are we going to be able to reach people unless we're around them and they get to know us and they know that we, we love them and care for them and we're sharing the truth so that, so that it can be for their good and for God's glory. So you've got Second Timothy 2 to read and to consider and to study that, you know, God, God has us here. We can be friends with people, but not friends with the worldly system that, that's constantly opposed to God. As we said before, the closer you draw to God through his word, the less satisfying, the less appealing this world is. We're called out from it to be separate. That's what we desire because God's called us to that. Jacob said, if God's going to feed me and clothe me, he'll be my God. God's done far more than that for Jacob. But it's also come with a lot of difficulty and struggling. It didn't change the fact God has fulfilled his promises to Jacob. He's listening, he's obeying, because when we walk by faith, brothers and sisters, we can be confident of God's protection, his promises, his provision. We can be confident of that, as Jacob was. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, that you are so faithful. Lord, thank you that you have called us out from the world. Lord, we don't have to, we don't have to wallow around in sin. And God, try to find contentment and happiness and satisfaction in, in this world. God, the world is passing away. Things that are in this world will, will pass away. So many things are, it's so obvious to us, God, when things break and they fall apart. Things decay and things stop working. God, it points us to you because you never stop working. You never change. You never break or decay. Your word remains true. Your promises are always true. You are the God of steadfast love, of loving kindness, of mercy. Oh, God, thank you. Father, I pray that we would learn how to depend upon you and your word more every day. God, that you would call us more to your word and out of the world. God, we look forward to the day when we will be called out to meet Jesus in the air. Or, Lord, to be with you forever um, before that time. God, thank you for your promises. We pray that they they would be real to us because they're real. Because you're real. We praise you and thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.